Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Library Love Fest podcast. It's Lainey, and today. We're all about romance, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, and we have very special guest. Today we have librarian Stephanie Anderson. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, how are you? Good. And we have author Sarah McLean. Hi, everyone. Hi. Thanks hey. for having us. Oh, we're so excited. This is going to be such a cool conversation. And I'm actually, so Stephanie is going to do the interview and I'm going to step away, but I'm going to do a quick intro of Stephanie. So everyone, I mean, everyone should know you both, but <laughs> if they don't, then they can get a good idea. So Stephanie Anderson is Assistant Director Selection of Book Ops, managing the fantastic team responsible for selecting and ordering material for the 150 circulating locations of the Brooklyn Public Library and New York Public Library, plus both digital collections. She began her career as an independent bookseller before becoming a librarian, was the manager of Word in Greenpoint. While working at the Darien Library in Connecticut, she received her MLIS from Syracuse University and was named a mover and shaker by Library Journal in 2016. She's the founding member and current chair of Library Reads, the National Library Staff Picks List, and advocate for adult readers advisory in public libraries. She serves on the advisory boards of Literary Hub and Restless Books, as well as the Fiction Committee for the Brooklyn Book Festival, and reviews books for people, Kirkus Reviews, and Shelf Awareness. Um, so thank you, Stephanie, for coming on to do this interview. We, you guys, I know are both really great friends, and um, last time you both were on our Facebook Live and just did a tremendous job and one of the best conversations I've ever heard, and especially about romance, but in general. So thank you both for being here, and I'm going to hand it off to Stephanie. Great. Thank you so much, Lainey, and thank you so much for having us. I am always delighted to have the opportunity to talk to Sarah, who is one of the smartest people I know, um, and not just on romance, but on so many things. So like you said, everybody listening to this podcast should already know Sarah, but if you don't, let me just tell you what you're missing. Sarah McLean is a New York Times bestselling author of beloved uh, romance novels, historical romance novels. She wrote her first romance novel on a dare and never looked back. Um, she also is the author of a monthly column at the Washington Post celebrating the best of the romance genre and I would say is a beloved literary citizen for all of her many contributions, not just to the genre through her books, but through her support of other authors and her endless willingness to introduce new readers to the joys and the thrills of the romance genre, particularly through her amazing Facebook group, Old School Romance Book Club, which is literally the only reason I'm still on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I am so delighted to have her here today to talk a little bit about romances and, um, particularly she has a book coming out 
in June that everybody should, just a couple weeks, uh, that everyone should really be looking forward to. It's the last book in her Bare Knuckle Bastard series, which is, um, I I always say every book Sarah, every new book Sarah writes is her best book. Um, And I don't want to say too much about this book because it's the end of the series. And if you haven't read the series yet, I don't want to spoil any of the earlier books for you. But just know that I, I was able to get my hands on an early copy of this book. And like always, it is the best Sarah has written so far. So Sarah, welcome. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you so much. That was the greatest introduction I've ever had. (laughs) Um, I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm always thrilled to um, chat with you, Stephanie. I think this is our second book chat. Um, Yeah. I mean, outside of our actual life where we've had many, (laughs) many book chats. So um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, let's get right into it because I can't wait to hear what you have to say about all of this. So I thought today for this podcast, there's a couple bigger themes we could touch on. Um, so here's where we're going to go, hopefully. But although I will say, I know that our conversations have a tendency to start on one road and, and end on the other side of town, and we don't know how we got there. Um, so I thought we'd cover a couple sort of big picture things around romances and, and and throw your books in there as well. So talking about how do romances work? Because for even those of us who read them, it can seem like a magic trick. And those who don't read uh, romance, it can seem almost impenetra- uh, impenetrable, if, you're, if you'll forgive the terrible pun for a romance <laughs> novel. Um, so how do they work? What's the challenges behind them? Why do people love them so much? And then particularly now, what kind of power do they, and importance do they have now in, in this really weird global moment. So yeah. um so let's start with how do they work? What talk talk to us a little bit about like how do you make a romance novel work? How do you meet that challenge of always uh bringing people together at the end while still telling a, an amazing story? Well, I mean that I think that's that's the whole ball game with romance. Is I think people who've never read a romance or who don't really understand the the genre struggle to understand how how a a book where you always know the ending <laughs> and um, <laughs> seems to just be about something that is generally pretty pedestrian, right? Love is it love and hap- happily ever after and love as an end game is so it's used. It's ubiquitous everywhere in the world. We use love to do all sorts of things. We use love to sell cars and toothpaste and um, you know, life insurance. And we, we, <laughs> Every one of us knows some knows uh, ha, knows somebody who's fallen in love, who's had a great love story. Some of us have lived our own great love stories, and so love feels like a kind of thing that is a B plot, or should be a mm-hmm. B or C plot in a movie, in a television show, in a book. Um, but in romance, it's the A plot. And what can how can that possibly be? I think a lot of people come at romance with this idea that like, well, I mean isn't love just a simple thing? Um, and the truth is that at the end of every romance novel, the the cornerstone of the genre, the covenant that we have with our readers is that we will deliver a happily ever after. And so there is no such thing as a romance novel that ends with tragedy. Um, there's Romance novels end with happiness and partnership and parody and hope and all the things that come come with happy happily ever after and with love. Um, and so the story is really the journey to love. Mm-hmm. And so the way romance works is by delivering readers a kind of roller coaster experience where hopefully the book delivers conflict and strong characters and unique experiences and a path to love that is really different and carries you to super high and deep low and then um, delivers you in the end safely to 
um, a world where these two characters will be able to face anything and triumph. And there is something incredibly powerful in that. Um, there's certainly a safety. We talk a lot about, a, there's a great um, scientist. I don't know if you've ever heard Jennifer Lynn Barnes speak. Have you ever heard heard Jennifer speak? No, I haven't. So she's a PhD um, and a professor in uh, at the University of Oklahoma, and she does her research on. She's particularly interested in YA. This is us. We're already down the rabbit hole. <laughs> she's particularly interested in YA, um, but she talks a lot about id and how you write. How in in fiction, um, stories in fiction tend to really hit universal ids, um, and so it's things like. Um, we love universally humans love competition and humans love beauty and humans love wealth and humans love um, and all of these things have foils. So we love beauty, but we also love ugliness. We love to read about these things. And one of the things that humans really love is danger. I mean, we like mm. to read about danger, but we like to read about safe danger. We like to know that at the end, um, things will work out. Uh, and so, or at least we like to, when we read about danger, when we read um, about murder or, you know, serial killers, or we listen to podcasts about true crime, we like to know that we are safe, um, but but to consume danger in a different way. And I think that what romance does is the same thing that mystery does and the same thing that thrillers do, where like we can deliver highs and lows and fear and really tap into human, deep human emotion um, and run the gamut of those emotions, but then also deliver you at the end safely to a place where you feel hope. And I mean, right now, I think we could all have a little more hope. Yeah. Well, it's funny. There's uh, some librarians talk about uh, a set of the genres as the adrenaline genres. Mm. Um, so like tying together different types of books that give you that adrenaline rush in that safe way. Romance, I don't think is traditionally included as one of the adrenaline genres, but in a weird way it can be, um, even if it's not like a romantic suspense or something, because you are, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're giving yourself that hit of adrenaline or dopamine in a very safe way. Like you Sure. Say. And those yeah. of us who've read romances, um, and I know you're a romance reader too. The that sort of moment where all is lost at the end, that like dark moment, where your heart is just your chest is tight and your stomach is flipping. Like that, I don't know what I'm not a scientist. I don't know if that's adrenaline or dopamine or what that is, but that's a physical response. And romance, at its best, delivers that. Um, yeah. And then and then sort of in this magnificent way, twists it all around and delivers you the love story. The 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 happily ever after that kind of cures all of that physical ale. Yeah. And I think that, I think the way you're putting it is exactly how I feel as a reader. And I know you've said this, how you feel as a reader too. It's like, I am willing to go places with romances in terms of what happens to the characters that might be unbearable in other books, because in the back of my head, I always know like, they're going to work this out. It's going to yeah. be fine. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be okay. It's and okay. Yeah. As a writer, there is an immense amount of, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because as you said, I, I just finished a trilogy. Um, the last book is coming out in June, June 30th. And the hero of that book is the villain of the first two books. Mm -hmm. And um, A very clever twist. I love it. <laughs> and, I've been, and I've been thinking a lot about the promise that I make to my readers when I, when I bring them on the journey of a romance 
novel. And in this particular case, the journey of three romance novels, right? Like they've had three books now to really know these characters and to know the backstory and the, not just the backstory, the actual, the, the, they've, they've seen the sins committed on the page um, that have to ultimately be reconciled. Um, And, and, and that promise, the promise that I make to them as a writer is that they're safe with me. Um, Mm -hmm. So the delivery of the happily ever after on this book was really stressful for me because I wanted to make sure that I was delivering on that promise, like that I was making good on my promise to my readers for three books, that it was all going to be okay. Yeah, it's interesting because I I think that's something you do so well that I love as a reader, which is I love the the game of like is this person redeemable um because i think that's that seems to from my perspective as a reader that seems to be something you're always playing with is like how bad can this person be and still deserve their happily ever after um and this is definitely one of the give it because you have several books of buildup, you know, often we just get to know a hero from the first page of the first book. And so you really only know what the authors told you in this book. And so they're setting you hit the person up, the hero or the heroine to be redeemed from page one. Um, but this is such a switcheroo uh, <laughs> that I think it's an interesting game to play with the reader to say like, I don't know, can this person be redeemed? Um, and I, I think that's that's part of what makes the book so successful is I, I when I started the book, I wasn't entirely sure whether it was possible. <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that particularly what I'm always interested in and my books always sort of flirt with this idea that the people who we are supposed to perceive as good in the world are not necessarily the best people. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me, this series was very much the, it was, it was conceived in, um, 2016 and the idea that I had for it was what, what if I stopped writing about, you know, the aristocrats, the men in power, the people who controlled parliament, the people who controlled, cause I write, um, historical romances set in London, um, you know, the, the politicians, the billionaires, the powerful men, powerful white men. Um, What do I, who can I, what if I stopped writing about those people and I started thinking about power in different ways? And so I wrote this series about, I mean, they're criminals. Um, Mm -hmm. So the, well, the first two heroes and the heroine of the third book are all, you know, operating in criminal, in sort of a criminal world, um, a sort of darker world. And the aristocracy is really on um, on trial, I think, a little bit in these books. And nobility, the question of, you know, capital N noble versus lowercase n noble. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to think through what it means to be a villain, what it means to be, um, what it means to be, to act with with honor, what it means to act with nobility, and could you, what is a noble scoundrel, which is sort of an archetype, not just for romance, but for everywhere. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and how, how can you, how can you turn the whole story on its head? Um, and I think romance has often, especially historical romance, really does um, laud the Duke. I mean, God knows mm-hmm. I've written enough of them, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what happens when the dukedom is the problem? Yep. And that's really what this, the whole series is about. The dukedom is the problem. Mm-hmm. 
at the center power, of all three books. Yeah. Right. Like, um, you know, power by birth and, and money is the problem. And I think, well, I mean, that just speaks to the way that romance, this isn't, this isn't something I'm not revolutionizing romance, romance by t- telling this story. Um, romance has always sort of asked these kind of really interesting cultural questions. And so I think that's why this series happened at the time that it happened. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, the something that we talk about a lot with romance is how something that makes it revolutionary as a genre and often I think makes it overlooked is that you are talking about different kinds of power because particularly with historicals, um, you're talking about women who are often powerful in ways that are not ways that you are taught about power when you first learn mm-hmm. about power as a kid or about political power, um, learning about the power between two people and the um, the ways you can have control or power in your life, even if you don't have a lot of privilege or aren't born to a position where you can achieve, you know, a seat in parliament or something like that. Um, So it's interesting to see in this series, you take that thought a little bit further. Since I think an interesting thing about romance is it is often a lot of these stories are about power as much as they are about love. Um, Like you're saying, it's all those primal things in the id. So I was going to say, do you think that's tying into why I think we're sort of talking around why do readers love these books so much? And I think it's for all the reasons you're talking about is that it's a it's a different way of examining a lot of these issues that we have to confront when we read the news and we have to confront in our daily jobs and all and in our relationships. And it's giving you a new way to talk about those things and to think about those things. Certainly. And I mean, it can't be discounted the fact that the genre largely is about uh, it centers the marginalized gaze in the sense yes. that um, it centers the female gaze, the the woman's gaze um, in in queer romances. It centers the gaze of marginalized people who who don't usually get to be the the who don't usually get to be the vehicle by which we see the world. Um, and so when we're talking about romance and, you know, as you were, as you were just talking about writing historicals and writing the heroines in historicals, I think what romance has done for almost 50 years is it is the only genre that as a matter of course centers women um, and in pleasure, in power, in, in parody. Um, and, it is the only genre that sort of values emotional power, I think, um, or one of the mm-hmm. few places where, as a matter of course, it values emotional power. So when we say like, oh, damsel in distress or all these books are about men saving women, um, you know, while certainly a lot of archetypal heroes do end up, you know, rescuing the heroine, um, the reality is, is that that rescue works both ways um, in that the heroine actually rescues the hero's humanity in a lot of these mm-hmm. these books, um, certainly in older books. Now I'm sort of writing a different kind of heroine where I like to play with the idea of the heroine literally rescuing the hero. Um, but I think this kind of emotional power is not a thing that happens all the time in every genre, um, but it does. it's such a commonplace element of the romance. And I think being able to view emotional work um you know we talk so much we're talking so much now about emotional work in the world and like the way that women do so much emotional work i think being able to center that work and value it is something that romance has been able to do for a long time and is continuing to do and i think that's why there's so much value in the books for those women who are called to them yeah it's because it's even beyond emotional power even just legitimizing the fact that like it is it is a reasonable thing to have an emotion and that you you ha- are 
that you can, you should be able to expect people to treat your emotions with a certain amount of dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a really powerful idea and something that I think most people find revolutionary when they first encounter it. You know, like sometimes the the disagreement or the conflict of the heart of a romance novel can be as simple as like a misunderstanding. Those, mm-hmm. those, those like typical misunderstandings, like, oh, if only you had walked into the room a minute sooner, you would have had the context <laughs> of this conversation. Um and those are the sorts of things that often in real life get treated as silly or something to get over or, you know, and in romance novels, they're given their full place of like, no, these are important. These are things we carry around inside ourselves. Sure. This is how we perceive the world. I think it can be a revolutionary act to realize that like, yeah, an entire love story can hinge on these feelings. And, that's, sure. and so it's fine to have those feelings in real life, too. Uh, that's a, that and- could be a big realization. Absolutely. And one of the things that we talk so much about in romance is, well, if it can just be talked out, if, they, if these two people can just have a conversation, then there isn't enough there there, right, for a book yeah. or, or for whatever. But the reality is, is that some conversations are a lot more complicated than others. Definitely. Um, yep. So it is one thing where it's like, you know, if you can just say, well, I'm not the twin brother you thought I was. <laughs> That's not enough. Like it's not my baby. Oh, okay. Well, that oh, all right then. <laughs> but if you're talking about actual, real, powerful, emotional conversations, which we have all had to have in our lives at some point or another with some person who we care about, the reality is, is that's risk, and um, that's it's a it's a it's a challenge to have those conversations. It takes trust and. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honesty and feeling safe in those moments to have those real conversations and romance is about i mean the the moment where your chest gets tight and your tummy flips is about that conversation um so yeah that's what we're doing you know where a thriller might send you on kind of a explosive journey through you know uh, i don't know a a, a through the lens of a CIA agent in romance, the explosive journey is happening, you know, inside your heart and mind. Um, So in a time like now where so many people are experiencing these very real daily traumas, um, either at their jobs or because they've lost their job or they have family who are sick or, you know, there's just every day there's more trauma in the world as a result of everything that's going on. Where does a genre like romance fit into all of that? Because I think in libraries, we're seeing people are really turning to genres like romance right now. So Mm -hmm. why do you think that is? Where does that come from? You know, I was... uh... I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about comfort reads over the Mm. last few, you know, I'm on day 70 here in New York Mm -hmm. City. And I've been thinking a lot about what I'm reading and what I want to read. And of course, I'm a romance reader first, last and always, right? But the, um, so for me, I've been going back to these, these reads that give me great comfort that I almost that I cut my teeth on as a reader. Um, And I think the reason why they are so valuable to me is because of everything that we've talked about, this kind of safety, the awareness that like everything will be okay. I do think that romance being so vast uh, is a piece of the puzzle of its popularity and its value right now. I think a lot of readers are turning to books that are lighter and fluffier, things like rom-coms, things like small town romances, romances that sort of remind us of, you know, what we might call a simpler time, Um, what I'm referring Mm -hmm. to as before times. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I think a lot of us are also turning to 
big conflict-laden romances, paranormal romances, romantic suspense, big historicals that are tackling, you know, massive conflict. Like, is it possible that this man that I've loved my whole life tried to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, just as an example. <laughs> yeah. so, but I think these big, deeply conflicted romances, the ones that really are knocking, they're, they're, they're hunting big game, um, are they're doing a different kind of work, which is they're dropping you, you know, from its free fall um, and then collecting you at the bottom and like bringing you mm -hmm. to safety. And I think there are that is part of why romance as a genre writ large is succeeding so well right now and really is something that readers are demanding because you can find whatever you want um mm -hmm. in romance tessa bailey really like tessa bailey likes to say um that the reason why she loves writing romance is because you can wake up any morning as a romance reader and say who do i want to be today and who do i want to be in triumph and i get to go find the book about that person and live their life in happiness for the day and i think that's such a beautiful way of thinking about the genre and because of the breadth of the genre whatever you need um, to live today, whatever you need to be able to be convinced that it's all going to be okay, we can provide that for you. Yeah. And you can give that a sense of certainty, you, you, even, even in a huge conflict that might be really complicated, there is that sense of like, I have all the facts. People can make decisions based on those facts. I know what's going to happen at the end. And that's, a, I think, a sense a lot of us are craving right now. Like you said, whether you're on day 50 or 70 or 100 of, of being in your house and not knowing when it's going to end mm -hmm. or going to the ER every day and not knowing when it's going to end, that, that yeah. sense of certainty um, is important. You know, we've been talking a lot in the profession about meeting, how are we going to meet people's informational needs in this time, particularly with most of us uh, having no or very limited access to our physical collections right now. And thinking a lot about like people's informational needs, their health information needs, their financial information needs, all these different things. Um, but I, I think talking to you, it's good to be reminded that people have these really emotional needs um, and these mental health needs that are not served by necessarily nonfiction or reading another news article about the coronavirus, but are well served by uh, comfort reading and, and genre reading and, and books that give us that moment of mental uh, rest and yeah. safety, like you said at the beginning, that to feel safe even for 10 minutes in such a profoundly unsafe and uncertain situation can really give people the strength they need to keep going. Yeah. I mean, uh, last week I read Emily Henry's Beach Read. Have you read that yet? No, I'm dying to read it. It sounds oh, so good. <laughs> it's so delicious. And yeah. I, um, and I took it outside onto my concrete patch <laughs> in the sunshine <laughs> And I read it in, you know, a couple of hours and it was the most wonderful break that I'd had. I mean, it I just felt completely refreshed by it because I was able to lose myself in it. And it was a it's it's a delightful book. I mean, it's just now out and it's about two writers on a lake in Michigan um, who are neighbors. And there is something really idyllic about it, which is really nice for me sitting in Brooklyn. Um, but the, you know, the truth is that that when you talk about emotional, the emotional needs that a library can serve right now, I think one of the biggest things to remember is a lot of people, you know, you said earlier, people are losing their jobs. Who knows how long this financial crisis is going to go on? Certainly, we are in a period of national trauma um, and global trauma. 
And um, people aren't going to have the resources that they had. And that's the value of libraries, right? Like that's the promise of the library is that even in this time where I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to afford a book or how I'm going to find find space for myself, the library can provide those things for me. Um, and I think do not discount the incredible power that you all have right now. Um, you're a frontline worker. Yeah, I think as we all start to slowly piece our way through what uh, public libraries in particular are going to look like for the next months and years to come, I think that's a really good thing for us to be reminded of is that we're serving more than one need for our readers um, and that people may be coming to us with needs they used to be able to find these things on their own. Um, and now they're going to be looking to the library to provide that for them. And I should say, Sarah, that that was the feeling I had reading The Daring and the Duke a couple of weeks ago. And I, you know, I don't like to read things digitally. It, it hurts my eyes. I don't like it. I'm old. I don't want anything to do with it. But I was so desperate to read your book that I read it on my computer screen. Um, it's the same feeling. I, I looked up and I, a half an hour had passed and I couldn't believe that like it had been half an hour where I hadn't thought about anything except this beautiful story and like this very intense uh, hero and figuring out how he could ever possibly redeem all the horrible things he had done. Um, so thank you for that. I think I, a big thank you to me on behalf of all of your readers and I think to the genre at large for being able to give people those little pockets of normalcy in the middle of, you know, such a weird time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for reading it. And thanks for saying such nice things. I'm so glad it worked for you and um, that you didn't hate him at the end. <laughs> no, no. I really thought I might, but you pulled it off again. Yay! <laughs> You probably know what you're going into when you start the book. Yeah. Spoiler, they end up together. Oh, my God. Don't tell the best. Now, why would they read it? Well, thank you so much for chatting today, Sarah. This has been lovely. And always, always love to hear what you're thinking about romance. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. And um, I hope everyone's being safe. And I hope you're all reading wonderful books. Oh, you guys, I am always just blown away because the conversation you have after I'm like, oh, it can't be better than that. And you always <laughs> blow me away. I love hearing you guys are both just like some of the smartest people and the most thoughtful with your questions and answers. So um, thank you for doing this. It means a lot. Um, before we go, Sarah, do you want to tell them a little bit about Faded Mates and where they can find that? Oh, yeah. If you enjoyed having a conversation about romance or listening to a conversation about romance, you can join me and, and my co-host, Jen Prokop, every Wednesday uh, for our podcast, FadedMates.net. We do deep dive reads of romance novels that we think are really transforming the genre and showing the breadth and depth and um, power of the genre. And then sometime, and then uh, on off weeks, every other week, we tackle a trope in the genre and explain why it works and who does it well and why readers love it. So it's great for reader advisory if you're looking for somebody who's looking for secret baby romances or road trip romances or Dukes in Disguise. We've got episodes on all of that and uh, we'd love to have you. You can find us at fatedmates.net or just search for us on any podcasting platform. I will say that I listen to it because I'm a romance reader and I'm always looking for more books to read, but I have recommended it to many librarians. It's just a good professional development tool. So if you're listening to this and thinking like, I don't need another podcast in my life. If you want to know more about romance without ever reading any romance, this is the podcast for you. And it's funny and, and delightful. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I look forward to it every week. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you both. And uh, be sure to get a copy of Daring and the Duke out very soon. 
Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week. Thank you.